Welcome to Stock Stories, Episode 72. Welcome to the show. This is the Stock Stories Podcast. My name is Alex and I am your host. Thank you for joining me today. And if you're new to the show, Stock Stories is the podcast dedicated to helping you, the individual investor, make better investing decisions. And we do that primarily by looking at case studies of different companies, as well as looking at mental models. And when I say looking at case studies of different companies, specifically our main goal is to go through every company in the S&P 500. Now the company we're going through today is not in the S&P 500 yet, but if I were to guess in the next several years, it probably will be because it's a fast growing business. So let's look at something a little bit different today. You ready? Let's talk about Planet Fitness. All right, let's talk about Planet Fitness. Planet Fitness, ticker symbol is PLNT, and this is a company that is focused on, you guessed it, fitness. It's a gym, basically. So it's a franchise network of gyms. So there's exercise equipment, there are classes, etc. It was founded in 1992 by Michael and Mark Grondel, And what they did was they found this struggling gym, purchased it, and then decided to lower their prices significantly in order to compete with the other gyms in their area. So this is back in the early 90s. There are all these gyms everywhere. Working out is all the rage. And they decided they were going to be the low-cost operator. And guess what? It started working. They decided to cut prices a lot. It started attracting more people, and the business grew. Another distinctive aspect of Planet Fitness's culture, other than their low prices, uh, is the culture of being judgment-free. So they set out to create this judgment-free zone, as they call it. And they wanted to appeal to really just your average person, your everyday person that wants to get fit, but they don't want to pay super high prices for all this fancy equipment and training and classes and pools and squash courts. No, they just want a place where they can pay a little bit of money, go there once in a while and work out a little bit, maybe on the elliptical, maybe get on some free weights or some machines and then feel good about themselves and go home. That's the kind of customer that Planet Fitness has targeted since their origins back in the early 90s, and they've been successful at that. So that's kind of the profile of the customer that they sought, and they got that kind of person. Another thing about Planet Fitness is that from the very beginning, they decided that they were going to franchise. 
So, well, not from the exact beginning, but about 10 years later in 2003, they opened up their first franchise location in Florida. And this was a turning point for the business because it really started proving out that their business model of a low cost gym operator was replicable. And so they decided to start franchising out these locations. And this is kind of where my personal story actually comes into this stock a little bit. I actually have a family member who I believe they joined Planet Fitness around that time. I don't know if it was exactly 2003, but I think it was around 04, 05. And I actually lived in Florida with my family at the time. And they started going to Planet Fitness and they lost a lot of weight. They started exercising, became very fit. And actually, to this day, they're they're now working in the health and wellness fitness profession. So that was something that was impactful to my family was Planet Fitness's impact. And I just, I, I had forgotten about the company, frankly, for a long time. But then it came across my research recently and I thought, oh, wow, yeah, that is that one place where so-and-so started getting fit. So it has some personal connection to my life and, and I've seen that their, their culture and their system can indeed work for people. And so they started franchising in Florida, but they quickly started expanding to other areas and they used the exact same model of franchising. And you can imagine, like we've talked about other franchised businesses on this podcast before, think about like a Yum! Brands or something like that. The franchise model is simply that there's a parent company who has a brand, they have a system, they have recipes, they have a certain way of doing things, and they sell the right to use that system to individual business owners in different locations. So it's a scalable, replicable business, and it's very asset light for the parent company. And this is important because that means that they can generate higher returns on equity, which ultimately leads to higher profits, leads to higher stock valuations, all those good things. So basically, once the franchisee purchases the business, not only do they have an initial buy-in fee, but they have to pay an ongoing percentage of their sales, usually of their gross sales, as royalties to the parent company. And this can be very lucrative, especially if the underlying business is doing really well. The parent company can effectively just use their intellectual property, use their training and their systems that they've already spent time developing and just repeat them over and over again and get money from from their franchisees, from the owners. And that's the recurring revenue that is the magic of franchise businesses. So Planet Fitness started out doing this in the early 2000s and they started getting successful at it. Now, as far as where they're at now, if you wanted to go to a Planet Fitness and sign up for their membership, what does that actually look like? So say you're just, you're not used to working out and you don't want to go to a fancy expensive gym Uh, but you do want to do something. So you go to Planet Fitness and you say, hey, what are your options? Well, this is what they would tell you. So there are two kinds of memberships. You can get the basic membership for $10 a month, or you can get the black card membership for $25 a month. And the black card membership 
includes all of the basic facilities, but there's a couple extra features you can get in there as well. Uh, but the vast majority of people who are customers of Planet Fitness are regular members that pay that $10 a month. And that usually gets auto-debited from the customer's bank account. So you have that nice stream of recurring revenue there as the business owner. So that's what it looks like. Uh, it's kind of a no-frills gym. I've been inside one before. It, you have a lot of equipment and you have uh, you have some ellipticals, you've got some free weights, you've got all kind of all the basic things that you might expect in a gym. But what you don't have are all those expensive extras. You're not going to see a pool. You're not going to see a daycare center for your kid. You're not going to see those kinds of things like maybe an LA fitness might have. So it's definitely for a different type of consumer. Now, where is Planet Fitness at now? So they started out in the early 90s and they started franchising in Florida. And over time, they've grown rapidly throughout the country. And right now, they're at about 1,700 stores in America right now. In 2016, they had 1,300 stores. A year later, they had 1,500. And then a year later, they had 1,700. So you can see that every year, Planet Fitness is adding about 200 or so stores to their overall network. And uh, this is great news. This means that, hey, the business is working. People want to buy into these franchise opportunities because they're actually making money. And if you were to do the math on that, and I'm referencing right now page five of the most recent 10K filing with the SEC, the total store count has increased by 15% annually. So this is pretty solid growth. Now, that's all well and great to have store counts increasing, but how does it actually translate into revenue and profits? Well, I went ahead and ran some numbers over the past several years, and since 2014, the revenue of Planet Fitness has been growing at a 20% annual rate. That's nice. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's some good growth. Now, what about the income? Because remember, we've studied some businesses in the past that have really nice revenue growth, but no profits, <laughs> at least no profits yet. Think about Lyft during its IPO. Think about Zoom during its IPO or Pinterest. These are businesses that are growing really fast, have a lot of revenue growth, but don't have the profits yet. They may have the profits in the future, but not yet. So at least for me, that automatically disqualifies them as an investment right now, just because I can't predict the cash flows with any sort of certainty. But as far as Planet Fitness goes, you have real profits. So again, since 2014, I calculated the growth rate of the, of the profits, and it's been 29% annually. That's incredible. That is what you want as an investor. You want income growing at 30% a year. That's, that's great. As far as businesses being traded in the public markets, that's the realm of investments that is going to be fertile ground for you for fast-growing businesses. Now, management expects that total store count to grow to about 4,000 before you start seeing some saturation. So similar to a business like Starbucks, um, you can't grow so much to where you have too many stores in one geographic area because then they start to cannibalize each other's sales, right? Imagine you and your neighborhood, if you had a Starbucks 
one mile away and then you had another Starbucks equidistant one mile away in another direction, uh, well, you wouldn't might not be loyal to one particular Starbucks. You might switch between the two. And so that means the other store isn't getting as many sales. So a similar thing that Planet Fitness has to make sure they avoid is not oversaturating the market and making sure that once they do hit that 4,000 store count, which is about double what they have now, that they push toward international expansion and keep growing that way. But for now, Planet Fitness is definitely solidly in that middle phase of rapid growth is how I look at it. They're not super small. I mean, we've missed the boat on that super early phase of growth where they only had a few hundred or maybe even several hundred stores, but now they've got almost 2,000, and they think they can double that pretty easily. So that's kind of where we're at with the phase of this business cycle. Now, they already have commitments from franchisees to open another 1,000 stores, so that's a pretty strong indicator that the growth is going to continue because there's that demand there from the owners. They know they're going to make money from this franchise. They're ready to open their stores. As far as the international growth, they have started growing internationally. They have locations in Canada, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic. But make no mistake, Planet Fitness is still very much a U.S.-based business, and almost all of the locations are still in the United States. So the international growth story is emerging but there's really not much to talk about yet. Now, I mentioned the franchise model a lot a few minutes ago, and there are a lot of franchise gyms, but not all of them are franchised. There are some company-owned gyms, and the mix right now is about 90% of the gyms are franchised, while about 10% are company-owned. So that just goes to show you kind of their mix. If you recall, in the restaurant industry, we talked about in the McDonald's episode, They've got something like well over 95% of their stores are franchised. It's pretty impressive. As far as Planet Fitness's reach and what their ambitions are, they're going after the entire U.S. adult population over the age of 14, basically. So there are about 200 million Americans that are over the age of 14. And right now, Planet Fitness has over 12 million of them. So they've got about 6% of the adult U.S. population going to their gyms. I think that's pretty fantastic. That's pretty amazing. They've got some good market penetration already. A lot of people are willing to spend $10 a month to go to the gym. And guess what? The magic thing is, if you own a gym, not everyone's going to use the gym. A lot of people are just going to uh, pay for the subscription and not really go that often. So, so you get kind of these amazing economics where you have a ton of people paying you a smaller amount of money, and in aggregate, it's a large amount of money, but then your facilities aren't getting worn down as much because people are just casual gym goers. They're not, they're not bodybuilders coming to the gym to work out five hours every day. They're not going to put that wear and tear on your equipment. You don't have to keep the lights on the same, the same amount of time. There's just a lot of benefits efficiency-wise when you have those types of economics. So that's something that I thought about is really interesting is, hey, a lot of people are willing to pay $10 for the gym, but not necessarily everyone is going to go religiously because they are going after the casual gym goer. They're going after your average person. So that's really interesting to me. And it's not just about the new stores. So think about 
They're trying to expand to 4,000. They've got almost 2,000 right now. It's not just about that growth, but what about same store sales? Now, this is a really important concept. This is something that I remember reading about in one of Peter Lynch's books, the famous mutual fund investor, when he talked about retail operations that are growing rapidly. One of the key things to look for is strong same store sales growth. So if you have an existing Planet Fitness gym, it should be producing more revenue year after year because of increases in memberships. Maybe the the mixture of black card customers is a little bit higher than it was the year before. There can be a number of reasons why uh, the same store sales growth is there. But it's really important because it's a strong indication of pricing power and a strong indicator of a good brand and a good franchise. And Planet Fitness, so far from the data I've seen, it definitely has that. Same store sales have been consistently about 10% every year for the past few years. So it's held steady, which is a good sign. Some businesses, they have good same store sales growth at first, but then it starts to fall like a rock once the fad is over. So Planet Fitness so far has been really good with that. And I looked at some data all the way dating back to the Great Recession over a decade ago. And the same store sales growth numbers did dip for a little while, but the growth was still there. The sales did not decline. And um, so I think that's a good sign as far as the stability of the brand and the business growth. So I'm liking this a lot. All right. Now, as far as the mixture of where the money comes from, remember, this is always an important fundamental question to ask ourselves as investors. All right. If we were to buy the business, whether in whole or in part, where's the money coming from? (laughs) Now, we talked a lot about the franchise model, but not all the money is actually coming from franchisees, although a significant portion of it is. 40% of the revenue comes from franchisees. These are things like the royalties that they pay or the advertising fund that they pay into. 24% of the revenue comes from corporate stores. So those are the ones that Planet Fitness itself owns and operates. And then 36% of the revenue comes from equipment sales. This was the one that surprised me a little bit. And it became more clear to me as I continued researching. So franchisees have to pay Planet Fitness for their equipment. And they are, they're stipulated in the terms of the franchise agreement that they must buy Planet Fitness branded equipment and only Planet Fitness branded equipment. So basically, they have a monopoly on these sales. So if you add this up, that 40% from franchise royalties plus the 36% from equipment sales, you've got over three quarters of the revenue coming from franchisees. It's just coming in different forms. So the royalties are slightly higher than the equipment. But I did not realize at first how big a piece of the pie the equipment sales would be. But uh, it's starting to make more sense to me now that I'm thinking more about it just because fitness equipment is expensive. Think about all the weights. um, A lot of mechanical design has to go into that. The branding of the machines. So this is heavy equipment. And it's not cheap. <laughs> and when think, imagine you're a new franchisee of Planet Fitness and you need to outfit your gym 
with all these machines, you've got this empty warehouse basically, and you have to fill it up with machines. That's a lot of machines. That's a lot of money. And so that is a significant contributor to the revenue of the parent company. Another thing about equipment, equipment, I was reading in the annual report that the, t- the useful life of fitness equipment tends to be around uh, maybe five to seven years or so. I think there's some variation there depending on the specific equipment and maybe other factors. But the franchisee, they're going to have to buy equipment again. This isn't just a one-time thing. These are recurring costs, which means recurring revenue for the parent corporation. So another good aspect to the economics there that I really like. Okay, now let's get to another part of what's driving the revenue. So we talked about royalties. So I wanted to dig into what are these royalties? Where do they come from? How much are they charging? What does that look like? Well, Planet Fitness has a royalty rate of 7% on gross revenue. Now that's a little bit high relative to some of the revenues that I've seen in say the fast food industry for franchises. But um, it seems like it's justified because the business is growing so fast that owners can still make a lot of money, even if they're paying a good chunk of change up to the parent company. So you get that 7% royalty. But here's the interesting thing. This is just starting to take effect because many existing franchise agreements have already been negotiated at much lower rates. So because this is such a relatively new franchise operation, a lot of the old agreements that were put in place when these existing stores were created have royalties at lower rates because the company wanted to incentivize new owners to build out locations to grow the company and grow the brand. But now that the brand has picked up some steam, the parent company is saying, okay, we've proven our concept, we're rocking and rolling, let's increase our revenue, our royalty rate rather, just a little bit because we know we can justify the economics based on our past success. And this is another profit driver. So I think down the road, it will be a strong profit driver going forward in addition to increases in the store count. And I want to read you something from the 10K itself so you can get exactly what I'm talking about. So this is from page eight of the 2018 10K. Quote, While our current franchise agreement stipulates monthly royalty rates of 7% of monthly dues and annual membership fees, only 16% of our stores are paying royalties at the current franchise agreement rate, primarily due to lower rates and historical agreements, end quote. So did you catch that? Basically, only 16% of the stores are actually paying that 7% right now. The average royalty rate being charged right now is only about five and a half percent. So you can see how all of the new stores that are going to be built, that's going to add to your profit more than new stores did in the past because the royalty rate is going to be higher. And not only that, but the existing stores, once their franchise agreements lapse, I don't know how long the terms are, but once those agreements lapse and have to be renewed, guess what? They're going to be renewed at a higher rate. So you've got a higher profit driver as well. Um, So you got about 2,000 stores coming up soon, presumably in the next maybe five to six years if the current growth rate continues. And all of those stores are going to be charging 7% for royalty fees. So this is a good 
thing for revenue growth and profit growth. So you've got all these factors working together and let's get down to the actual numbers. How much is Planet Fitness actually making and how much has the growth really been? So for all these numbers, I'm going to be comparing the year 2014 to the year 2018, which is the most recent set of data that I have as of this recording, all right? So over this four-year period, now the revenue on the income statement has increased from just under $300 million to just under $600 million over that four-year time frame. That's a 19% growth in revenue annually. The net income of this business over the same time frame again has increased from about $40 million to over $100 million, 28% annual growth, right? So think about this. This is a very fast growing business and the actual numbers are still much smaller than the numbers of some of the businesses that we discuss. I mean, when we talked about 3M uh, last week, it was... Like we were talking billions and billions of dollars. Like Planet Fitness isn't there yet. (laughs) They're still in the $100 million, tens of million dollar kind of range as far as profit is concerned. But this is good because that means there's more opportunity for growth. Now let's look at the balance sheet. So in 2014, Planet Fitness had just over 40 million in cash. And now they have just under 300 million and their assets have increased, their liabilities have increased as well. So one thing I want to point out is that their debt and leases, remember, there's debt, so money the company borrows, and then there are leases. So this isn't technically money that the company borrows, but they are financial obligations, which is why they're placed on the liability side of the balance sheet. So all of these buildings, all this real estate that the company has to occupy in order to operate, there are a lot of leases required and agreements that have been signed for years and years in advance. So the company has to book these as liabilities. But primarily on the balance sheet, the debt has increased. That's been the main trend that's been changing. So in 2014, there's about $400 million in debt and leases. And then last year, 2018, there was about $1.2 billion. So this has definitely increased, especially relative to the assets which have grown as well. So the company's been taking out more debt. Surprise, surprise. Every company is doing it now. Interest rates are low and have been low for a long time. That's just something that we're seeing. Now, as far as the cash flow statement, the operating cash has increased from about $80 million to over $180 million over this time frame. Their investing cash hasn't changed that much. From year to year, they put between $50 and $80 million into the business in investing cash. Um, Some of this is in the past year, they bought out some of their franchises. Some of the franchisees want to sell to the parent company. So that ended up happening. And then as far as financing cash, they actually raised over $100 million last year in financing cash. What happened is that they ended up borrowing a net amount of $500 million in debt. And then almost $350 million of that went into buying back stock. So the company has been borrowing money, using some of it for just general corporate purposes, but using the bulk of it to buy back stock. And this has become pretty fashionable among large companies to do. Unfortunately, (laughs) Planet Fitness has been doing this when their stock price has gone up spectacularly. So I'm not sure it's the, 
it was the best capital allocation decision by management, especially during a critical point in their growth phase. What's up with that? But hey, that's what they did. So um, that is the cash flow statement for you. Another thing is that this company owns a subsidiary called PlayFit Holdings. It's something that's kept seeing recurring in the financial statements and in the 10k PlayFit holdings was basically a holding company that was part of planet fitness inc um, and they've been gradually buying out those shares of PlayFit. so the the amount of money that's contributing to the bottom line for say you and i if we were to buy shares has been increasing because they're buying out that subsidiary so if if you were to do the research on your own on this company you would see that entity there just want you to be aware of what that is all right so now let's get to valuation (laughs) it always seems to come down to valuation these days doesn't it i mean there's a lot of great businesses we've been talking about but some of them are just too expensive and yeah planet fitness i'm a little conflicted about but (laughs) let's let's get into why i feel that way so the current stock price right now is about 76 dollars or so per share and right now, the company's making about $1 per share in earnings. So yeah, that's pretty high valuation. But hey, there's a lot of growth there. So that's being implied by the, stro- by the stock price. And I think these are somewhat reasonable expectations. The company has been growing very fast. There's a trend in America toward health and wellness that's been going on for many years. And it's, it's fashionable to work out, especially among the upper middle class and upper class of America and people are willing to spend money on it and the price point is low. They're a low cost operator. So I think there are somewhat reasonable expectations of 20 to 30% growth in the future. I don't think that's out of the question. I mean, this company is putting up great numbers. And so here are the pros that I see. First, you have 15% annual store growth. That's great. You've got a lot of room in the country to put new Planet Fitnesses out there. And the model has been proven in many states already. You've got 10% same store sales growth. So existing stores are generating more and more sales on their own once they've been built. You've got the gradual increase in royalties up to a 7% rate, which we talked about. And then they're only about halfway through potential U.S. expansion. They think they can get to 4,000 stores pretty easily. So I see this as reasonable, just looking at the map of where these locations are and how many they have in each state. I think they can do this. Now, here are the cons. One thing is that management has increased their debt and lease obligations over time. And in some ways, I think unnecessarily. This is a business that is generating a lot of cash. Like, why do they need to borrow money to buy back stock? It just seems so silly to me. Like, just use your internal funds to fund growth. Now you're going to be paying for it later with interest. And what if you have to pay interest while your lease obligations are due, while you're in a recession, while same-store sales grow slows? I mean, there are just a bunch of factors that could come together that make it a lot harder. So I don't know why management made that decision, but they did. Another thing is that as a discount business, they must remain the low-cost operator. Okay, this is an important point. I don't want to gloss over this. If you're going to be a low-cost operator, you have to stay the low-cost operator. You have to master that niche because if you don't, 
Someone else is going to come and take your throne. Think about retail. Oh my gosh, this is such a huge example and huge case study. If you have not studied this already, think about something like a Kmart or uh, a Sears. Kmart totally got decimated when Walmart came along. Walmart was obsessed with reducing their costs so much. It was just in the culture of the firm because of Sam Walton. And you can listen to the Walmart episode uh, to hear more about him and his vision and what, what he did with that company. But they just reduced costs so relentlessly, no one could compete with them. It was crazy. And that's how they were able to achieve massive scale. And once they achieved that scale, people just said, oh, I'm going to go to Walmart. I don't need to go to Kmart or any other discount retailer. So if you're going to be a low-cost operator, you have to be disciplined. I'll give you another example. Southwest Airlines. They have been dedicated to being a low-cost operator, and they succeeded very well because they were competing with the traditional legacy airlines. But guess what's happening now? Now you've got these so-called ultra-low-budget carriers like Spirit, Allegiant, Frontier, etc. that have been popping up all over the place that are offering even cheaper rates for similar routes. And so now Southwest is maybe repositioning itself a little bit. But um, but yeah, if you're going to be the low-cost operator in a space, you must be dedicated to controlling your cost ruthlessly because there's always someone else that wants to take away your margin. And Jeff Bezos of Amazon is famous for saying, quote, your margin is my opportunity, end quote. <laughs> so think about that. That's why when you mention the name Amazon, pretty much every retailer stops in their tracks and there's a little bit of sense of fear in their hearts because they know Jeff Bezos is coming for them. He's coming for their business. He's going to buy Whole Foods, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm getting off on a tangent now, but all this to say, Planet Fitness is a low-cost operator. That has been their business model up to this point, and I see them trying to continue that. I think they're going to struggle a little bit with trying to get more people to sign up for the black card option to generate more revenue and profits. Because let's face it, if you're going to Planet Fitness, you want the cheapest rate possible. Why would you Why would you pay for a premium service at a discount gym? It's kind of like flying Frontier Airlines and paying for that, like, I don't know what they call it, the the extra leg room seat or whatever it is like okay is it nicer than the regular seat yeah but that's not why i'm flying on frontier airlines i'm flying on frontier airlines to save money point blank period so so i think there may be some struggle there but overall as i mentioned there are a lot of pros to this business you got fast growth you have some royalties increasing you've got expansion that's only partly underway at this point Um, but you have some cons it's it's a discount based business And the valuation, man, it's just really high. Like, I really like this business. I think it could be great as far as returns go for investors, but I just don't know. Another point I wanted to make is about return of capital to shareholders. So we talk a lot about dividends and buybacks. Now, as far as dividends, there is no dividend, and this is expected because it's a smaller business. So no dividends. As far as the share buybacks, though, (laughs) this is something that made me pause. Back in 2015, Planet Fitness had 36 million shares outstanding. And as of April 2019, 
they had 84 million shares outstanding. That's a 24% annual increase in the shares outstanding. That's not good. That's going the wrong direction. Planet Fitness is continually issuing new stock in order to raise money, to raise capital, so they can continue their expansion. But why do this? I I don't know. Um, I know they want to access the public markets to raise cash and, of course, grant some stock to their executives. But uh, it's not very shareholder-friendly at all. I mean, to triple your share count in five years or four years, uh, that's a bad sign to me as a shareholder. So that that kind of eh, kind of moves me in the direction of not being as interested in the shares because management's not really taking care of the shareholders that much. At least uh, that's what my my impression is. So if management was more disciplined with capital and the valuation was closer to say thirty times earnings, I would be way more interested. Here's the thing: phenomenal growth is not enough. When the next recession comes, casual gym goers might cancel their memberships and we'll have to be prepared for that. The business will have to be prepared for that. Uh, So people will cut certain things in a recession. Um, And if you're thinking about a casual gym goer, they probably don't care as much about keeping their membership as a hardcore gym goer as much as people who are athletes, people who want to work out five days a week. Uh, so I think that's a risk to this business model here is, is the spending is somewhat discretionary. So looking at these different factors, there's no dividend. There are no buybacks. In fact, there is dilution. I'm expecting that to continue. I don't see why it wouldn't because the company has been issuing shares steadily every year for the past several years. And then you've got phenomenal earnings growth. So <laughs> phenomenal earnings growth mixed with... F- <laughs> anti-phenomenal share dilution. I think that the earnings per share would probably grow in the mid to mid single digit to low double digit range. So let's say five to 10%. I have no idea. That's just what, what it looks like to me because you've got these kind of counteracting forces. The business is growing so massively, but you're getting diluted so much. It's just eating away at the returns. So the returns an investor is going to see from this business are going to significantly lag the business performance of the company itself just because of that share dilution alone. Uh, So I think that returns will likely be somewhere between negative to the high single digits. And that's coming in at this price point right now. Obviously, if you and I had purchased stock in this company a couple of years ago, we'd be extremely happy because the returns have been fantastic. Just look at the stock price. But uh, yeah, this price point, 76 times earnings, even with 30% annual growth, it's just too much considering that there's share dilution and management doesn't seem to be too concerned about being that great of a steward with capital. I love the economics of the business. I think if management was more disciplined and the valuation was a lot lower, I'd start to get really interested but that's not the case right now. We have to look at the facts. So that's my opinion on Planet Fitness. I'm just so torn on this business because economics are so great. It's it's still in its growth phase. A lot of things are going well, Um, but you got to look at the whole picture. And so when I saw that share dilution, I was like, dang, (laughs) too much. Ah, So that's, uh, those are my thoughts for you today on Planet Fitness. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Stock Stories podcast. I really appreciate you uh, granting me with your time and I do not take that lightly. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can reach out to me at alex at stockstoriespodcast.com or if you're on Instagram, I'm there too, stockstories1, that's stockstories, the number one. All right, I'll see you next week. presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.